The thought of that being my life, the thought of swiping in that front door, walking up the steps, sitting at my desk, and that being what I was going to work on for the next who knows how long, just made me so depressed. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is gonna talk about relaunching her career from being a corporate lawyer to becoming a clinical psychologist. She's gonna explain the steps she took to figure out what she ultimately decided to pursue instead of law and explain a concept called the fertile void. Then in today's mental fuel segment, I'll discuss how much your job can affect who you're becoming without you even noticing it. Happy New Year and happy 2017, and thanks for joining me here on Career Relaunch. I hope you had a restful holiday and break from work and hopefully had a chance to reconnect with some friends and family. I don't know about you, but I am very excited to start the new year, and I decided to kick off the new year on Career Relaunch with Vicki Dane, who's going to be our guest today and my first guest in 2017. Vicky began her career training to become a lawyer, and she practiced corporate law in London for three years, but left to explore careers she thought might have a more positive impact on the world, and she went on to have a really interesting and diverse career exploration that involved carpentry, farming, and writing, amongst other things, before eventually pursuing a career in clinical psychology. She went on to work for a few years in the National Health Service, and she's now embarking on a clinical doctorate in psychology. Now, Vicki and I first met quite randomly at a mutual friend's wedding, and we got to talking, and I found her story to be really interesting, so I hope you enjoy hearing more about her very unique journey. She spoke to us from her home in London, England. Okay, good morning, Vicki, and thanks for squeezing in some time to speak with me here on Career Relaunch. No problem, Joseph. Nice to talk to you. Okay, now I know you've got an 18-month-old in the next room over right now, so we've got a limited amount of time with you today, but could you just start by telling us what you're focused right now on your career journey in the world of clinical psychology? Yeah, sure. So I've been working for two or three years in a couple of different NHS settings. I was doing some research in a hospital, looking at what the psychological kind of distress levels are and how people were coping following facial injury, first of all. So I worked on that for a little while and then kind of connected with that. So still within the world of trauma, I've been working as an assistant psychologist in an NHS trauma clinic. So that's with people who have had basically some traumatic events that have affected them and they have post-traumatic stress disorder. What is your role on a day-to-day basis there working with these trauma patients? I do some support work for some of the main therapy that the qualified clinicians 
doing so quite often they're doing like most of the trauma focused therapy and I'll be working with people on some of the comorbid things that they have so on their anxiety depression helping them sort out the other things in their lives that are preventing them from getting as much out of therapy as possible so helping them sort out their immigration status because we get a lot of refugees coming through from war-torn areas but as well as that I have been doing a couple of the therapy sessions myself with some of the patients that the clinicians felt like it's appropriate for me to work with. So there are some kind of more low-scale therapies that I can carry out at this stage with people. What's really interesting is that if someone were listening to you right now, they would just assume that you've been involved in psychology for a very long time. But that, I know, is not the case. You used to work in a law firm in London. Could you just take us back in time to what you were up to before you got involved in clinical psychology? Way back in 2007, I started working in a law firm. And before that, I'd been to law school and done all the kind of academic side of law. But uh, yeah, no, I was working in a law firm in London doing kind of commercial corporate law. I'd been doing that for two or three years. And I kind of knew from the start that it wasn't really a good fit. But I just kind of kept sticking it out. And it was a long process, but I, at the end of about three years, I just, I really knew that it was just the wrong thing for me. I see. So yeah, so I decided to leave. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to, let's dive in a little bit more into this yeah. process here. So can you first start off by telling us what drew you to working at a law firm in the first place? Oh, the life of a just naive 21, 22-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I'd come to the end of actually a maths degree. And I knew I didn't want to work in finance. I knew I didn't want to do a PhD in maths, even though I did kind of enjoy the work. It just felt so isolated. You know, you're not even speaking in English terms, let alone talking to anyone. So I just, I knew that wasn't where I was going to be. And so I started looking at jobs where there was still kind of like a rule-based structure, because I really like problem solving. That's kind of at the heart of loads of the decisions that I've made. But I suppose just in my slightly naive view, I thought, oh, if I'm working in law, it means... I'm still working in rules and systems, but I can advise people and I'll be dealing with human beings. And I kind of just thought there'd be a lot more human interaction. Now, I I don't know much about what it's like to work in a law firm, but Mm. I know that it's a very alluring environment, I guess. Well, my perception of it is what I've seen on TV, on some of those like uh, the TV shows about what it's like to, (laughs) to work in a law firm. Can you just tell us a little bit about what your life was like working in a very fast paced law firm in central London. It's funny because this idea of like fast pace, I remember the first day I walked in, I really expected there to be people like literally running down the corridor. (laughs) 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 And um, lots of very dramatic, eloquent speeches. I mean, it sounds silly, but I remember the first day I stepped into the law firm and everyone was just in an office squirreling away, looking a bit stressed and a bit occupied. And it it is kind of just actually like that. I mean, It is really intellectually challenging. There is loads of research involved. There's loads of, you know, thinking ahead, understanding the mechanics of, you know, whatever the deal is that's going on or the wider social impact. I mean, there are interesting concepts like that going on. But a lot of the time you're drafting provisions in a hundred page contract, most of which will never really come into play unless something goes wrong. And that is important to have. I think lots of what happens in law is there to support 
the actual exciting part of when a deal is going on, when something's mm. being sold or something's merging. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and I, I don't want to belabor this point too much, but I think one of the topics that we cover on this podcast is what what draws people to these industries in the first place that on the surface seem really attractive and at the same time don't really provide the meaning you're looking for. Do you have any guesses as to what drives most people to go on and go work in a law firm? Because I know it is an attractive destination for law students who are graduating. I mean, I guess the money is attractive enough. It's not lucrative, but it's certainly a really good package. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like a tick. Oh, yeah, you know, it meets the money requirements. You know, everyone's looking very smart and glossy. You're in your uh-huh. and, and when you're 21 or two, which is when you're making this decision, that's very far away from your, you know, scummy life as a student. It's got that stamp of approval, doesn't it? So, you know, doctors, lawyers, accountants, who else? Architects. I don't know, some of the classic roles that you go down. So all the status that's just naturally coming along with that package, and you know your parents will be happy, and you know you'll be bragged about because you're like, oh, I'm a you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, that it falls into those categories of accepted career paths. And like buildings like the Shard. Yeah. Okay. So that's an exciting, iconic part of the London landscape. And lots of things that would have happened for that to come into being would have been to do with the legal negotiations behind it. And, you know, to say, oh, I was part of the Shard deal or or, I was part of that major thing happening in Mm -hmm. the business world or whatever. That sounds exciting because people have heard of those brands or they've heard of those, you know, they've seen those buildings. And the reality is, the work that you're doing in the document that you're drafting is just so far away from what the sort of tagline is about doing, like being involved in those projects. It just doesn't feel that exciting in the end. So yeah. So you mentioned when we started talking about this, that you pretty quickly realized that this wasn't exactly doing it for you. Can you just explain what exactly you were feeling as you were going through these documents and this role within the law firm? So a lot of the interactions that I was having with my colleagues just felt really unpleasant. And also, once you'd kind of drafted this or, you know, created a plan for something, then it just sort of disappears. Like, you do all this work and then you don't always feel like you see what the outcome was. I suppose the shopping centre gets built or or the company gets sold. But where do I feel that in myself? It just, I just felt very a huge disconnect between the thing I was pouring my work and my energy and my time into and then what the outcome was. So can you take me back to the moment when you decided that you wanted to explore doing something else? I qualified into the area of corporate tax law, which basically means that that's where you're going to work then for the rest of your life. And I was about to be involved as quite a like lead person. I mean, still pretty junior, but I was going to be responsible for quite a, a particular part of a quite a long scale project which was going to take up probably three quarters of my working time. And the thought of that being my life, the thought of swiping in that front door, walking up the steps, sitting at my desk, and that being what I was going to work on for the next who knows how long, just made me so depressed. I just couldn't imagine spending the rest of my time, I mean, all of my time doing that. I was told in the new year I'll be be working on it. And I had a really long holiday book, well, two weeks (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh, booked over Christmas and 
I took that time to talk to as many of my friends who knew me, like knew me really, really well. And I knew would be honest with me about how I was feeling and about just the idea of just leaving it all. Like, what did that sound like? Please be honest with me. You know, tell me what, does that sound crazy? What do you reckon? And really, I knew I'd already kind of made the decision in my heart, but talking to my friends really just helped me sound it out. When I came back, I handed in my notice. Oh, wow. Was there anything in particular that you extracted from those conversations that convinced you it was time to hand in your notice? A really good friend from my maths course, he, when I told him that I was thinking of leaving law, he said, oh, God, Vicky, thank God. You know, I don't know how to, oh, I'm just going to say this, but I could tell that you were just going to go one way or the other if you continued in law. I thought, on one hand, you are just going to be such a wanker. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or one day you're just going to get up and walk out. And I'm so glad that you're thinking of doing the latter. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was kind of a feeling of how I had looked at the crossroads myself. Because when you are doing a job for that many hours a day with such a strong culture about it of self-importance and the way that people talk to each other you take that on that's who you become and I had seen myself already start to talk to people in slightly more derogatory ways than I thought was you know who I would normally be in interactions and yeah I could see myself getting stuck down the the less sort of savory path of how I could be I see so you actually noticed changes in your behavior outside of work it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, it was a stressful job. So when people are a bit stressed, they're a bit more short-tempered and a bit less patient and things. But I think it's more than that. I think it really, it encourages a ruthlessness, a whole kind of just get the job done no matter what. And the way that that feels like in a law firm is often at the expense of just basic courtesy and kindness of how you interact with people at different levels, different hierarchy, you know, different levels of the hierarchy in the law firm. And yeah, and the self-importance with which you say, I'm a corporate lawyer. I mean, ugh, I kind of grown <laughs> to think about it now, but <laughs> I know people really get a kick out of saying that because yeah, of the connotations that come along with it. Definitely. You, you definitely, I think, are awarded some immediate status in society when you have that sort of a title. Yeah. Okay. So you decide to resign. What happens next? I left my my super swanky kind of warehouse conversion apartment off Brick Lane and went to stay in a friend's house in their spare room. Uh, so basically slashed my rent by like, oh gosh, I don't know, by a huge amount. A lot. Of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just basically started putting all my money into, I'd already been saving, but really focused all of my attention on saving as much money as possible because I had a real countdown by that point. And what were you gearing up to do next? I had no idea what I was going to do, but I knew that there was no space while you're doing a eight or seven day as a kind of typical day, sometimes much later, but as a typical day in the law firm, there's no space for exploring other avenues. So I knew I just had to quit. And um, the only thing that I planned was to go and do some voluntary work on a farm in New Hampshire uh -huh. <laughs> in America. I knew that it would be good just to be out. I mean, this was summertime. I was going to spend the summer out in the field, you know, planting crops and picking mm -hmm. fruit. It's very, very wholesome and just quite a good therapeutic way to get my head out of being in the city mm -hmm. and just allow, allow some thinking space. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I know sometimes people feel this temptation to jump right into the next thing. And it sounds like you intentionally decided to just stop and take a breather. And why do you think that's so important to be able to have that space? These are big decisions that you're making. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? What at least am I going to do for the next 10 years? Who will I be when I'm doing that? Who am I as a person? We're talking about identity. We're talking about how you're going to be spending probably nine or 10 hours of your day every day. You know, you need some time to figure that out. I think we're just really addicted to doing because if you feel like you're doing something, then you're like, oh, it's all right. It's all okay. I'm busy. I'm doing things. And and you have an explanation in case anyone asks you, what are you doing right now? Oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I've got this in my calendar. And I don't think it really just allows for the calmness and the stillness that you need to kind of tap into the questions like, what's actually important to me? How do I forget the the tagline of me describing what I'm doing in one sentence? What's the reality of how I feel when I'm sitting doing my work? And yeah, you, you need space for that. Yeah. I think one of the topics I think that you mentioned to me the first time we met was this concept of the fertile void. I think is yeah. what you called it. Can you just explain to us what that is and how that played out for you? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say that I came up with that fantastic phrase myself, but <laughs> it was a friend of mine who said to me really casually when I described, oh, you know, I've, I've left law at the moment. I'm just, oh, I'm about to go to a farm trying to figure out what to do. She was really excited. She was like, oh, you're in your fertile void. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, those words sound that kind of poetically sounds like it, it is a good description from what I'm doing. But what is that? What do you mean? And we kind of, you know, we chatted about it a bit. And the way I think about it now is, I mean, it's literally how you would dissect each of those terms. So looking at void first, it's a space of what apparently looks like emptiness, because you're not doing things. It's not filled with titles and categories and things. But it's it's more a space of stillness where you can just get some calmness and get a bit of thinking space. And the fertile element is where seeds are able to be planted and having that time to think for yourself allows them to grow and to become something bigger. And some of them will be pruned and won't end up being the things that maybe you thought they were or for whatever reason they won't work out. But it just allows a bit of growing space for those inner thoughts that you often don't even manage to hear, let alone give time to uh, actually nurture. And what were some of those inner thoughts that started to emerge for you? When I turned off that whirring part of my brain that was filled with, you know, research and legislation and blah, all of that. I thought, you know, what what are the things which I would love to try? I think, God, I bet that would be a really fun career. Or like, not even career, but I bet that would be a really fun way to spend your day. All of the thoughts that I had, I thought, right, you've got a bit of time, you've got a little bit of breathing space for the money that you've managed to put away. Let's go and try them all. Let's just go and see what the reality of doing drama is like. Let's go and see what the reality of working in a kitchen in a restaurant is like, because I love to do stuff to do with food. What's it like to do other parts of the food industry? So I went and worked in a butcher's for a couple of days. Um, I thought, oh, you know, everyone says they have a novel in them. Everyone says they've got a book in them. Like, do I? Do I have a book in me? All right, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and sit in the library and I'm going to sit and write every day. How does it feel to write every day, supposing that at the end of it, I'm going to have a book to show for my name? I have always had an interest in working with wood. So I went to do a carpentry course. Do I want to be a furniture maker? Like all 
Wow. All these, I mean, they're, and they're wildly different, aren't they? But yeah. for me, these were the thoughts that I'd always had thinking, you know, with a slightly romanticized notion of, oh, I wonder if I could do that. I'd love to do that. That sounds like a great career. Everyone has those thoughts. Everyone, if you ask anyone, even people who look really set in their career, everyone has a little thing where they think, oh, if I could have, that's what I would be if I wasn't, you know, X that I'm doing right. now. Yeah, definitely. And I thought, I'm only going to be able to give each of these things full respect and standing if I genuinely go and try them all and as well knock out some of that romanticism that people have about what some jobs are. I'm like, is that the reality? Is that really what it's like to work in that profession? And then be able to let it go when I realized that actually that thing is really nothing like what the impression is from the outside. So it sounds like you put yourself out there. You began to experiment with a lot of different career paths to see how it sat with you. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that was difficult about this time of exploration for you? I guess the obvious thing is just trying to make it financially viable. So the big thing wherever you are in the world is how you pay for your accommodation. Because I should just be clear, all these things that I tried out, I wasn't paid for almost any of them. I mean, sometimes I'd get things in kind on the on the farm. I received accommodation in kind and food in kind. So I didn't have any kind of outlays. But um yeah, otherwise I was working for free because it's amazing how often if you turn up somewhere and say, you just have quite obvious enthusiasm and say, I'm here, I'll be prepared to work for you for a period of time so long as I'm useful to you and you're useful to me. Um, it's amazing how how much that taps into um people's kind of interest and they let you, they let you come and work with them. It actually wasn't an issue and not having a huge amount of social life or not having all the sort of, you know, usually being able to go out for a meal or I certainly wasn't taking any of the taxis that I used to take because I was getting so much fulfillment from this drive and this exploration and all the other things that were going on. Was that surprising to you, the fact that you didn't miss the income or the lifestyle that you had when you were working at the big name law firm? I was not surprised because what I realized was a lot of those things I was doing as part of my well-paid but very high pressure career was that it would be lunacy to be working that hard without some extravagance. Mm -hmm. So if you take away the the unbearable part that you're trying to placate with the extravagance, actually, there's no need for the extravagance. I see what you mean. <laughs> that offset is no longer needed. Uh, right. Okay. So you're doing this exploration. How did you discover that psychology was the path that you wanted to take? I had tried out all these things and I knew that it just wasn't going to be restaurants or food. I knew the carpentry was a really difficult one for me to walk away from because I really did connect with that as work. But I brought quite a healthy dose of realism to my evaluation. And I knew that one of the things I wasn't going to settle for was just a really low level of pay. I mean, I certainly wasn't looking for anything like I was having in the law firm or anything like that. But to live in London, you do need a ballpark figure of, oh, I don't know, everyone would have different figures for this, I suppose. But I knew that working in carpentry was never going to be able to let me have just that kind of basic standard of living. I also knew coming in as a 30-year-old woman to a world where it's a lot of people are doing apprentices as 17, 18 year old men. I also knew there wasn't, I wasn't really congruent with that. I wasn't a sensible fit for where I was going into. Then when I realized that I had found something, but it wasn't quite the right fit, I thought, right, I need to sit down and write the things that are important to me. 
I need to write down all the things that, I mean, within my life, but then also specifically within what the job needs to do. And I will then look more pointedly rather than just listening to these funny little voices of, oh, that looks like fun. That looks like fun. I'm going to do a much more focused search about what job would meet these things that are important to me. The human connection part was absolutely fundamental. I need to be working with real human issues, not just, oh, there are human beings involved on this transaction. Things that were down to the nitty gritty personal aspects of people's lives. And when I started exploring that, social work came up and psychology came up. And when psychology came up, something rung, a little bell rung inside. And I thought, yeah, it's human behavior. It's human attitudes. It's the complexity of human interactions that's really fascinating to me. Let me look a bit more into this. And then when I looked further and further and further and what all the viable routes were, I realized that there was this thing called clinical psychology and I realized that there was a way to train and go down it and there was a completely respectable but not greedy salary attached to it. And it all just sprung from there. How did you know that this was it compared to the other options that you were evaluating? It was the intellectual challenge element of it and the fact that it was working with people on a really, really personal level. And those things had come out of the explorations that I'd done. So then you get involved in the world of psychology and you you start off as an assistant psychologist. Is that right? I've done quite a lot of roles. It took quite a lot of time. You really build up from spending many hours unpaid to slowly getting a few hours paid to then having a more formal role and... The next step that I'm embarking on now is really the major step in anyone doing following a career in clinical psychology, which is to do the formalized training that after which I'll be a qualified clinical psychologist. And can you just describe what it felt like to be doing this type of work that you found more meaningful versus the work you were doing before? It just doesn't compare. It never compares. Even on a day when all of the people that I'm planning to see cancel apart from one person and they come in and they're incredibly depressed and it saps all of my energy sitting and talking to them. Nothing compares with how I was feeling sitting in my office with piles of documents around me, spending my lunch break out on the Thames, looking at the river, just asking myself, what am I doing? What contribution am I making? Why am I using my skills for this? The difference between that and sitting one-to-one with someone in a room who feels like they can trust you and is able to articulate their distress for you and you can find a way to help them reframe their perspective of the world and give them just some way to get some joy from their day, even if it's only for 24 hours or however long it is, they just don't compare. Sometimes people are looking for signs of how do I know that the work I'm doing is the right line of work for me? What are the characteristics that you're feeling or what are you noticing about yourself now that you're doing this work that you love? I think work can often follow you home, not necessarily even that you're, you know, having to deal with a document or take an actual physical piece of work home with you. I mean, just the thoughts that come home with you. And the thoughts that would come home with me from law were mainly quite stressed. How am I going to deal with that? What about that bit? Oh God, I've got to interact with this partner and I don't get on with. Um, How do I feel about the impact of this lease clause that I've drafted that's really preferable towards the corporate landlord and really unpreferable towards the commercial tenant. How does that sit with me? Ugh. Right. 
Right. The, but it, so they were kind of imposed intrusive thoughts, which were stressful and were things that I had to try and solve. Whereas the thoughts that I have when I come home from working in psychology are often a joy that I, you know, I obviously I, everything's kept completely confidential, but I might describe to my partner, oh, I had a really great interaction with a client today. I feel like, you know, they're doing much better. And it's more, it's more of an excitement to think about it rather than an imposed kind of intrusive dread. And I'm myself at work. There's, there's almost no part of me that can't be present at work. Whereas I think 80% of me was shut off. So Vicky, when you look back on your career change, and I know you're, you're obviously, you're still in the midst of this. What's something that you wished you had known that you now know? God, you know what? If I knew how much, how hard it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> um, I just think, actually, that's true for most scenarios. If you know how hard something sounds, then people get put off doing it. But actually, we have a huge amount of resilience and flexibility, and we're amazingly adaptable. Do you have any career advice for someone else who's either trying to make a career change or trying to make a career change into the psychology profession? Just never settle. Why would you settle? Why would you settle for anything other than the best that's on offer? Keep asking yourself, am I happy? Am I getting fulfillment from this? Is this something that I feel proud to be saying that I'm doing? And if not, do something about it. As early as possible, get out there and try as many things as possible and be prepared to fail and to learn and to be honest with yourself about something if it isn't working, but to really acknowledge the parts that are really, really good and just... Yeah, I mean, have a clear picture of who you are and what you want when you look back and you're 70 and you think, that's what I did with my life. Are you going to be proud of that? So uh, just to wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about your current endeavor? Now, uh, you're embarking on a clinical doctorate in psychology. What's involved with that? I'm so excited about this. It's kind of a, an academic and clinical three-year doctorate, which means part of the time I will be attending uh, lectures and seminars in a university setting. And for the rest of the time, so three days a week, I'll be in different mental health clinics and different NHS um, trusts around London. And uh, I'll be working with all sorts of interesting people. I will be working with children, adolescents that are experiencing psychological distress, adults. I'll be working with people with um, learning disabilities, working with older adults. If there are any kind of specialist areas that I you think, oh, I've got a real burning desire to work with people with psychosis. I've got a chance to go and work with them. I'll be um, doing a thesis at the end of it. So I've got to do a huge project where I'm conducting some research and writing up my findings. Hopefully they'll be published. I mean, there's just, I mean, all of that feels so exciting to me. I just can't wait to get started. Wow. Very exciting. Well, Vicky, thank you so much for your time today and taking us through how you experimented with a lot of different career paths, how you identified the best path for you and congratulations on this next exciting step towards your clinical doctorate and career in psychology. Thank you, Joseph. It's been a real pleasure. I hope it's been of use to anyone listening to this. So I hope you enjoy hearing Vicky's thoughts on the fertile void, taking a closer look at who you're becoming and never settling. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'll be sharing my own thoughts on the major impact work can have on who you are and who you're becoming. 
This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today, and then I'll wrap up with a simple challenge for you to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to leave you with a few closing thoughts on one of the ideas Vicky touched on, which is taking a closer look at how your job affects who you are and who you're becoming. Then I'll finish by sharing a free resource to help you reflect on whether you're becoming the person you want to be. Okay, so when I was listening to Vicki share her story about how she wasn't becoming the person she wanted to be at that law firm, it got me thinking about my own career trajectory and the different roles I've held throughout my career that have affected me. And it also got me thinking about the times in my career when I wasn't completely happy with the person I was becoming. So I'll share a little story here. When I first moved to London, I was working as a senior brand manager for a startup luxury desserts company. And I have to say it was one of the more intense places I've worked in my life. Um, we were a fairly small team and we were under a lot of pressure, as is the case with a lot of startups, to grow really rapidly. And what that meant was that the types of behaviors that were rewarded in that workplace weren't necessarily politeness or patience. It was all about getting stuff done no matter what it took. And I wouldn't go as far as to say it was a bad environment, but the culture there definitely pushed me to become a lot more aggressive and assertive, borderline ruthless at times, and also kind of pushy. What's funny is that I didn't even really notice that I was changing. Uh, I think the person I was becoming was not only not an issue at work, but those behaviors were actually rewarded and encouraged. And the changes that were happening weren't happening overnight. They were happening incrementally over time. So what happened was a lot of people outside of work actually started to point out to me that I was becoming a lot more intense. I actually had a few friends tell me that I seemed a lot less patient and they noticed I was becoming a little bit more aggressive outside of work, which really wasn't my personality. And it certainly wasn't the kind of person I wanted to become because I'd always prided myself in being someone who was calm, diplomatic, and also patient. I eventually decided that I didn't like the person I was becoming and ended up resigning from that job before I had another one even lined up because I realized I wasn't changing for the better. And I didn't want to be in a place that didn't allow me to fully be the person that I could feel good about. And I guess what I learned from that experience is that our workplaces have a bigger impact on our personalities than we might realize. Last October, I wrote an article for Fast Company about what I learned from the career changes in my life. And I talked in that article about how work molds you more than you realize. And as much as I like to think of myself as an independently minded individual who's not susceptible to outside influences, the reality is that if you're spending 40 to 60 hours in a particular environment, it's gonna have an impact on who you are, no matter how much you try to resist it. And you may not even be aware of it. You can probably think of people you know who have changed over the years. And yeah, part of that might be because of life stage, but it also has to do with work. The cities you live in, the companies you work for, the cultures of those companies. And some people change for the better and some people change for the worse. I just think it's important for you to think about what impact your workplace is having on you. Are you becoming the person you want to be? Are you happy with who you have to be at work in order to succeed? And more importantly, are you proud of the person you're becoming? And if not, what are some of the changes you need to make this year in 2017 to feel more at peace with yourself? And this reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis. 
Isn't it funny how day to day nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different. So my challenge to you is to take a moment and reflect on whether you're satisfied with who you're becoming. The new year is a great time to do that. And if you're not satisfied with the direction you're going, what are some specific changes you could make to get yourself back on track right now toward becoming the person you want to be this year? If you're not sure how to figure out if you're becoming the person you want to be, you can download a free worksheet with six simple questions to ask yourself at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 12, where you can also find a summary of the key ideas and links mentioned today. While you're there, I'd really appreciate you leaving me a positive review on iTunes, which helps this podcast reach more people like you. You can also find some cool pictures of Vicky during her fertile void of career explorations. Again, you can do that at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 12. Thanks for listening to this episode of Career Relaunch and a special thank you again to Vicki Dane for sharing her story with us. I'm Joseph Liu. I hope 2017 is off to a solid start for you and I'll see you next time.